Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Miles Selman. Welcome to the podcast, Miles. Good to be here. Um, We're going to talk about Miles' journey as a transgender man and also a romantic asexual. Um, We appreciate our listeners hanging in there with us uh, as we transition to a better soundboard. And we should have that fixed. Um, We also appreciate all of you that are connecting with the book that I wrote called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's available at Amazon. encourage you to order the book. um, Share the link with others. You can find it on Amazon under my name or type in Listen, Learn, and Love. The book isn't too much about me, but it's about... um, our LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and amplifying their voices so we can better meet their needs, which is the purpose of this podcast. Miles is somebody that reached out to me on Facebook Messenger um, a while ago, and we had a phone call, and we felt it was a good time for Miles to share his story. When anybody kind of comes to my home, I'm recognizing they're probably a little nervous to do a podcast. We say a prayer. I do a little bit of a background, and Then we just start recording. Uh, Miles is 23. He's a transgender man, so I'll be using he, him pronouns. Um, He is active in the LDS church. He has felt gender dysphoria his whole life. Really didn't have vocabulary for that until um, he figured that out after his mission. Uh, Miles served a mission in the Portugal-Spain mission. Uh, from 2016 to 2017. That was before he identified as a transgender man, so he served as a sister missionary. It was Portugal-Lisbon, but yes. Portugal-Lisbon. Yes. Uh, what, yeah, Portugal-Lisbon mission. Um, great area. That's right. It's Portugal is not Sparta, Spain. It's a completely <laughs> different country. My fourth grade uh, geography teacher would be very disappointed in me. <laughs> um, but... Um, Let's just start. Um, Why don't you talk about, um, I think before we visited, just tell our listeners what gender dysphoria is and how long you've experienced that. So I think everybody kind of experiences gender dysphoria a little bit differently. Um, I guess for me, it's just, I've always felt like a boy inside and, um, you know, when I went through puberty, it just didn't feel right. And, um, when I was a little kid, um, I sort of told my mom that I was a tomboy because that was the vocabulary that I had at that time. And, um, she's a very traditional person and didn't really like that. I didn't like girly things. And so that was hard for her. Um, but obviously it wasn't as disappointing as me telling her that I'm trans. <laughs> um, when I was in seventh grade was when the, I first came, when I first heard of the term trans, um, I was in a history class and um, the we were watching a documentary on trans kids. And um, I just remember feeling scared and confused and just, I didn't know what to do about that information because I felt that that was me, but I knew that I couldn't tell anybody about that. Um, I thought about the church and what they'd think about that, and I thought about my parents, and so I just buried that really deep inside of me and just continued telling everybody I was a tomboy because that was acceptable. (laughs) Um, And, you know, years passed and served my mission, which was also difficult having to wear dresses and all of that. My mission president's wife actually kept telling me I needed to wear makeup and do my hair and wear a push-up bra and like all these things. And I'm like, I have dysphoria with my chest. I don't need to make it look bigger. (laughs) It's honest. So, yeah. (laughs) You're doing a good job, Miles, of telling your story. Is there a way to describe the difference between being a tomboy and experiencing gender dysphoria? Yeah. So, um, for me, being a tomboy means that, you know, you don't, you aren't a typical girly girl that likes makeup and you don't like wearing girly things and um, typically, like, stereotypically, you like sports and you don't care if you get dirty, you like camping and hiking, all that stuff um, is what I would consider a, like, you know, tomboy. Um, but being trans is, um, 
it's like taking that a step further, I guess, and um, understanding that. Let's see how to explain this, because <laughs> when I think about it, it has to do with like how I feel inside and how I perceive myself and. Um, the fact that I don't, I feel this incongruence between, you know, what I feel in my mind and what I see when I look in the mirror. Um, when I was younger, I actually couldn't really recognize myself in the mirror for the longest time. I would like look at myself and it just wouldn't register that that was me. Um, and, um, so that for me at, at the, at that young age was sort of what I would consider gender dysphoria was I would see that and be like, well, obviously that's not me. That's, that's a girl. Um, and it just didn't make sense. It didn't click in my head that that was me. So that's good. I like your word, um, incongruence. Other people have used that word. And I, 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 it sounds like if you are a tomboy is somebody that's comfortable in their own skin, perhaps just doesn't hold traditional interests. So, uh, you know, a girl that's a tomboy could be, in my mind, cisgender, yeah. the opposite of trans, very comfortable in her skin, not feeling any incongruence or dysphoria. Yeah. Just have sort of non-traditional girl interests and hobbies. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. And um, there are a lot of trans men that enjoy girly things. It doesn't mean that they aren't men. Like, Good. So there is a difference there. <laughs> One of the chapters in this book that I've written, I decided to dedicate a chapter, chapter eight, to transgender Latter-day Saints because sometimes um, our, my transgender friends kind of get lost in the LGBTQ narrative behind gay and lesbian people that we focus a little bit more on their stories perhaps and we haven't don't focus as much on our transgender friends and we're going to talk about Miles being a romantic asexual, which is something we've rarely talked about on this podcast. Um, but I wanted to do a chapter. And one of the um, stories in the book I want to read to you, it's from Nika Allgood, who's an active LDS Latter-day Saint mother, who describes, you uses the words of her transgender son, Grayson. So Grayson's like Miles, transgender man to explain the distress pain of gender dysphoria when she lectures to college classes. And this is what Nika says, using her son's words. Have you ever gotten car sick? Car sickness, like many other forms of motion sickness, occurs when your inner ears and your eyes disagree about whether you're more moving. Gender dysphoria is like that awful, nauseating, headache-inducing wrongness from the disagreement of your mind and body. And you feel it every time you wear the wrong clothes or are called the wrong pronoun or hear your own voice or someone looks at you and sees something you aren't. Every time you look in the mirror, every time you think about yourself, it's like a knife in the gut because it's wrong, wrong, wrong. It's not you, but it won't go away and it won't stop and it hurts. It hurts like nothing you can imagine and nothing I can describe. It's so bad that I would literally rather die than feel that again, even for a day. And Nika adds, a lot of times cisgender people describe gender dysphoria as a mismatch between brain and body. But that understates the reality that many transgender people experience. For my son, it was distress. It was pain. And unlike car sickness, for four years, he couldn't get out of the car. Talk about if that resonates with you, Miles, and anything to add to that. Yeah, that basically sums, sums it up. I'm really bad at explaining my dysphoria, but when I read that, I'm like, yep. <laughs> um, for me, it, it really was such a painful experience. And um, it, like like I said, it's, it's like you'd rather die than have that feeling. Um, and I feel like that's that's why a lot of trans people end up being suicidal is because they have that such that that such such a strong incongruence with that that it just seems like impossible and i recognize that 
our listeners can all relate to being carsick because I think all of our listeners have been in a car and felt that. But imagine describing carsickness to somebody that had never, if there's such a person that had never seen a car or never been in a car, and describing that condition to somebody. So it's sort of like a cis person explaining to another cis person what car sickness is to somebody who's never been in a car, would never experience that. So I've learned as a cis person to to not dismiss the pain that somebody else feels and the distress they feel just because I've never felt that. And I don't have a way to feel that. And I've learned to honor stories so I can better understand how to bear, mourn, and comfort part of my LDS baptism covenants. I've learned that then, you know, Grayson in this case needs to get out of the car. He's been in the car for four years. And being trans then is the process to transition to some extent to eliminate or reduce or manage gender dysphoria. Explain that for our listeners. Yeah, um, transitioning has definitely helped sort of um, alleviate my, that sort of motion sickness feeling. Um, I've been on testosterone for almost six months, and um, it's been a really slow process, but um, it's been slowly helping me to finally be able to look in the mirror and see myself. I mean, I'm still obviously not there 100%, but it's definitely been helping. And um, being able to have people look at me and, you know, see a male has um, helped me tremendously too. Um, I just started a a job back in March and, um, or April, I don't remember anyway. And it was the first job that I'd had that people actually looked at me and saw a male and they just treated me like one of the guys. And it was just the best feeling ever because that's never happened before. And Why was that the best feeling ever? Because just try it, to explain that for our listeners. It was just people seeing me for who I am. Like nobody had ever done that before. Like they would see a girl and they would treat me like a girl, but that's not who I was. And so somebody looking at me and seeing my true self, it's like... I don't know, like, what cis people feel their whole life, I guess. But (laughs) for me, it was a new feeling, and it was great. Talk about the term passing. Teach our listeners about that term. Yeah, so if you're passing, it typically means that society views you as the gender that you want. Um, So there are a lot of trans people that don't pass, and so a lot of people have a hard time referring to them as their pronouns that they want. And um, a lot of times it is just hard for them because they do perceive them as a certain way. And so they don't, because they don't pass, it means that it's harder for them to get used to calling them that. And that was a struggle for me for a while was I had come out, but I wasn't passing. And so all these people were trying to call me he, him and use my name, but it was hard for them because I wasn't passing. And so they were just seeing a girl. That's helpful. Uh, talk about um, talk about um, other stages of transitioning. You've mentioned um, testosterone. I can never say that right. Testosterone. <laughs> I want to add an extra like vowel in there. Say it again for me. Testosterone. Testosterone. There are a lot of people that I've talked to, and they're like testosterogen. <laughs> that's a that's would be confusing. I think that's both of them. <laughs> but you're on that, and yeah. uh, the church's website has some leeway there for um, members of the church in to go on estrogen or testosterone. <laughs> no, I mispronounced <laughs> it again. Um, and I encourage you to check out that on the LDS topics. Um, do you, are you aware of that latest page? Do yeah. you want to share yeah, what's on that page with our listeners? Yeah, so I actually read that like a month or two after it came out because that's whenever it came out was when I read it. Um, and I remember thinking, I'm like, I feel like that's not a whole lot different than what it's been before. Just there was just more specific than what they had before because they, they had like nothing before of like different church disciplines about specific things and everything. Um, and 
the thing that um I guess if I'm remembering correctly, um they say that as long as you aren't planning on socially transitioning and aren't planning on having people refer to you as your preferred pronouns, then you can take um, testosterone or estrogen and not have any like sort of church discipline or restrictions. Um, but seeing as how I am socially transitioned, um, that doesn't really apply to me. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the way I understand it too. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of guidance in the past except sex reassignment surgery. Yeah. If I'm using the right vocabulary and now the church does have a dedicated transgender page and that's happened for the first time early in 2020 and I would assume that page will continue to add content over the years and will better understand people that experience gender dysphoria. Is gender, will you share with our listeners, is gender dysphoria a mental illness or a medical diagnosis? Well, it's... Or just share with <laughs> us your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I don't think it's a mental illness. Agreed. <laughs> um, it is kind of important to... I guess, have it as a medical diagnosis just so people can have that help. Um, like if they need to medically transition, then it would be a good thing to have that sort of medical diagnosis so that they can start on hormones, they can get surgeries. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> and um, I'm kind of skimming some of the... That's, if I can get to this, it talks about... I'm just kind of reading from this chapter of, um, but uh, well, I'll find it in a second. But it, I will get to it, listeners. <laughs> um, I did want to read what the church website says, which is very consistent with Miles just said. I'll read it word for word. Some children, youth, and adults are prescribed hormone therapy by a licensed medical professional to ease gender dysphoria or to reduce suicidal thoughts. Before a person begins such therapy, it's important that he or she and the parents of a minor um, understand the potential risks and benefits. If these members are not attempting to transition to the opposite gender and are worthy, they may receive church callings, temple recommends, and temple ordinances. So that was the first time um, I saw just some space there to use hormones and recognizing the role. In fact, Nika Allgood talks about the ram in the thicket. It was the answer to prayers to get her son out of the car and to be able to end suicide thoughts and be able to live a healthy life. Yeah. And so I, I, I recognize that we're learning as a faith and understanding the role of hormones that can be helpful Talk about, um, have you been suicidal? Will you share with us if you have been suicidal a little bit about your journey there? Yeah, um, I started becoming suicidal about a year after my mission. Um, I started going to therapy and taking meds um, to sort of help with that, but um, it never really seemed to do much. And then about... I'm pretty sure it was the end of October of, of last year that um, I actually went through with an attempt and ended up in the hospital for about a week. Um, yeah. Thanks for having the courage to share that. Can you walk us... You're, are you okay now, Miles? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've definitely felt a lot better since then. Um, I ended up coming out about a month or two after that incident, and um, I kind of fell back a little bit after that just because I wasn't really feeling accepted by the people that I loved. But once I started finally accepting myself and having those people that actually supported me, um, I've only been getting better since then. Talk, um, and thanks for having the courage to talk about this. Talk about your mindset. What brought you to a suicide attempt? Well, um, a lot of it had to do with sort of um, my, I guess, view on the plan of salvation. Um, obviously, a lot of it had to do with um, depression and all of that. But um, 
the way that I saw it was there's no way that I would be able to, I guess, go to the celestial kingdom if I were to accept myself as I am and start transitioning because I was always taught that that was such a sin and such a bad thing is if you're going to change genders. And especially since um, I wasn't sure, um, you know, what my spirit really was, like if I, if my spirit really was male or if it was female. And um, it was just so overwhelming to me. And I knew that if I told people about this, that they wouldn't love me and they wouldn't accept me. And it just seemed like the only option that I had was to just end it all and hope for the best. You did a good job of framing up a very difficult time. I'm not clinically trained, but I'm recognizing that there's multiple truths you're holding. You you believe in the church and you believe in the plan of salvation and the existence of the celestial kingdom, and you'd like to be there. You've just gone to Portugal. You spent a year and a half helping people come into Christ through our church. And so you hold this belief, but you also hold the reality of your own gender dysphoria. And you can't give up on either of those. It's They're both real and part of you. So to me, that then creates this impossible box you're in, this double bind of there's, I have no path forward. I have no way to reconcile these two truths that I hold. Yeah, exactly. And what would you say to your, we're recording this podcast in August of 2020, and this was um, in late, Octo- in October of 2019. What would you go back and say to yourself, if you could talk to yourself in October of 2019? And this is sort of you talking to listeners that are really suicidal. Yeah. Um, I think I would just tell myself that you're going to get better and God loves you for you. And he is a very understanding father that understands exactly what you're going through. And he doesn't want you to suffer. He, my belief is that he told us certain things that we would suffer through in this life. Um, and we chose to accept that. And for me, I guess I accepted to have gender dysphoria, which I can't believe I did that, but I must have been a good spirit back then. I don't know. But (laughs) um, I think he's a lot more understanding than people think. And if we're trying our best and we're doing what we can and we're trying to be like Christ, then there really isn't anything that should keep us from being in his presence. I'm glad you're alive. On behalf of all our listeners, this world is a better place with you in it, Miles. And I'm glad you're alive. And you are walking a really complicated road that I don't fully understand, obviously. But I recognize you're doing the very best you can in a very complicated situation. I honor your gender dysphoria. Um, As I've just sat with so many transgender Latter-day Saints, I've recognized that this mismatch, this incongruence, to use the word you used earlier, is real. And even though I don't experience it, I've learned to be, to try to be teachable enough within myself to recognize that you are experiencing something that I don't fully understand. And I could easily dismiss it with a platitude like, this is a sign of the last day or society going downhill. And that's what my mom says. <laughs> and that kind of keeps everything safe for me emotionally and keeps everything in the nice, tidy box. But it it, it decreases my ability to um, bear, mourn, and comfort. I like this quote. I'm kind of looking at the manuscript of my book here. Um, this is one of my favorite institute teachers. This quote isn't about transgender people. It's just a quote he shared. In some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will still leave us with a great deal to be certain about while maintaining the humility to learn. And so I like that. And at 59 years old and being male (laughs) and cis, I guess, I don't know if that plays into it, but it's hard sometimes for me 
and people at my age to be willing to let go of prior opinions and adopt new opinions. But I recognize that part of the gospel of Jesus Christ and part of Christ's ministry sort of wants me to try to be humble. One of the stories I share is Catherine Schweitzer that ran the Boston Marathon in 1967. There was no way to register as male or female. And the assumption of night, if we lived in 1967, the assumption of society where women were too frail to run marathons. And so when she took off running that marathon, the race officials raced after her and tried to rip off her number. And she ran, finished the marathon. And then 50 years later, um, 2007, if I'm doing the math, or 2017, um, she finished the race in the same, with the same number. But no one batted an eye about a woman running the Boston Marathon. And I thought to myself, what has changed in those 50 years? And what hasn't changed is God knew in 1967 Catherine Schweitzer could run a marathon. But the science and our experience with women marathon runners hadn't evolved to that point. And now we just know women can run marathons. So is it possible that we're in the middle of learning something that we'll go back in 50 years and go, with science helping us understand how why you feel gender dysphoria, Miles? Um is it possible we'll walk out of a movie theater in 10, 20, 40 years about transgender Latter-day Saints and with tears in our eyes want to go back and be kinder and show more empathy because we better understand why someone feels the way you feel? And I've learned throughout history there's sort of been a pattern where something new comes along and because it's sort of out of our comfort zone, we dismiss it. And and certainly some things new come along that we should dismiss. <laughs> but I think we need to sit with that newness and try to do all we can to learn about it before we dismiss it as something that is not um, something we need to learn more about or take on as as new information. Now yeah. I'm speaking too much. Any <laughs> thoughts about all that, Miles? Yeah, um, I definitely think that it is a very controversial topic for a lot of people. Um, and it is being trans is a very individual thing. Everybody is different. And, um, I think that all of us have different choices with being trans. Um, I personally believe that there are a lot of trans people that, um, were just born in the wrong body and their spirit is the opposite gender. And then there are other trans people that just experience gender dysphoria and that's their child to bear in this life. And there are others that just have struggled with say past trauma, like sexual abuse and stuff like that. And it's very individual, very different for every single person. And, um, for me specifically, I believe that my spirit is male but that doesn't mean that that's the way it is for everybody. Just like how a lot of people attack the trans community as saying that everybody is sexually assaulted. And so that's why you're trans. That also isn't for everybody. Like not everybody has been sexually assaulted. I have never been sexually assaulted. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of my view on it is that like, I feel like as soon as people understand it, understand that it is a very individual matter. And once we listen to the individual, just like Christ always taught one by one, that we will become more understanding and we will eventually open up our doors to listen more about this kind of stuff. That's a really thoughtful thing you said because sometimes we'll make a, 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 a universal statement about all transgender people or all gay people or all asexual people. We haven't gotten to that yet. But I love the way you just spoke for the transgender community in a very thoughtful way and said, this is how I feel. I feel my spirit's actually male. Um, but that's maybe not how every transgender Latter-day Saint person feels. And I've learned also transitioning. There's a great deal of, as I've done more podcasts, not everybody transitions the same way. Some will just take on hormones but won't do a social transition. Some will do a social transition. Some will do a medical transition, which I guess is Hormones is the first stage of a medical transition. So I've recognized there's a lot of different ways to do that. But it seems like one of the goals is just to manage the gender dysphoria. And, yeah. and that may come at different times for different people. Absolutely. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. There are a lot of people that 
don't need to um, medically transition, but socially transitioning is what will help them. There are a lot of people that only need hormones. There are people that just need like top surgery, for example. Um, and because they only have that sort of dysphoria in that one specific area. Um, and I mean, for me specifically, I, <laughs> I am very dysphoric in all regards. <laughs> so this is why I have had to socially transition. Um, that's why I'm on hormones and that's why I'm planning on getting top surgery. And, um, so that's, that's just me. That's not everybody will end up doing all of the sort of steps. Um, that's just a very individual basis. I have a friend that is just taking hormones. And then I also have a friend that, um, is not socially transitioned, but is on hormones. Um, Wait, I just said that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so there's there's just like this, it's a very spectric, spec, spectrum-based thing. <laughs> That's very thoughtful, and I didn't, you know, I just thought every transgender experience was the same. And I, I one of the things I mention in the book is to go slow. I do invite um, transgender people to go slow, and I think you're doing a good job of that. You've experienced when I went before we started recording. Asked Miles, "How long have you experienced gender dysphoria?" And he says, "You know, my whole life. I didn't have vocabulary for it, and I came out in December 2019 as a transgender man." But I I invite all of my listeners to go slow um, as part of your personal journey to manage gender dysphoria. There are some that detransition a little bit that feel they've gone too far. And so they pull back a little bit, and I would just honor everybody's journey. But I think a principle is to go slow and make really thoughtful decisions. And I think that's part of getting good therapy. Not that this is a mental illness, (laughs) but just getting good therapy, good medical help, people that are trained in this area, hopefully a church community that's growing to provide more understanding and a family community so you feel like there's a circle around you of support that's helping you walk this road um, and that you're doing it kind of the best way you can. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. um, I agree that it is important to go slow. Um, There are people that just jump into it and they're like, oh, I'm trans, so I have to do everything. And then they regret it later. Um, there's not as many experiences with that as there are with people that are that end up transitioning and going through medical transitioning and then they end up being happier. There's a lot more of that that I've seen, but there definitely are people that go through it and then they realize they're like, oh, like for example, if, if it's a lesbian, they're like, I feel like if I'm going to let girls, I have to be a guy. So then they end up medically transitioning, saying they're a trans guy, but then they regret it because they realize, oh, I'm actually just a cis woman that likes girls. Um, and so it is definitely important to kind of go through that and really think about what you're doing and if it is the right thing for you. Uh, thank you for that. And I think if I had parental responsibility for a transgender child, I would want to go slow, but I'd want to validate their gender dysphoria. And I would want, once that's established that there's long-term gender dysphoria or gender dysphoria, then I think the next question that we would process as a family is how to manage this, the car sickness. We want we have a family goal to get you out of the car. This is really legit gender dysphoria. It isn't what an example you just used. And that's why you said you've experienced this your whole life. Most of the people that I've talked to in these podcasts have experienced gender dysphoria their whole life. They haven't had vocabulary for it, but when they realize and connect with people, they go, oh my gosh, that's me. And then I like your thought about um, going slow and, and being really thoughtful about it. But you do need to transition most of the time to get out of the car. Uh, we've done some podcasts where people have just done a little social transitioning or a little hormones, and that's been enough. But I think, I think the requirement, the goal should be to eliminate or manage gender dysphoria as, as the benchmark or the measure or the barometer of of the degree of transitioning. Now there's church rules in there, and so you're bumping up against church rules, and that can complicate things. And you're aware of you're bumping up against some church rules, and yeah. 
you'll just need to leave that, you know, with your local leader. And I know you want to stay active in the church, and that can be a little fuzzy just how that's going to work out. But I admire you saying I want to kind of manage my gender dysphoria and stay in the church. Do you want to comment on that, how it's going to, how you think that might work out? Yeah, that that was also a major reason why um, I... I was like struggling with that when I was suicidal because the church is a huge part of my life and um, the knowledge that if I were to come out and transition that I wouldn't be able to go to the temple, I wouldn't be able to hold a calling, things like that was really hard for me because those are all things that I've always enjoyed, especially the temple. Like I was going to the temple like every week, like during this time that I was like super suicidal, I was going like every week because that was the one thing that would help me feel peace. Um until it didn't because my depression was so bad that I just couldn't feel the spirit at all. But that's beside the point. (laughs) Um, It was definitely a really hard decision. um, And it's been hard not being able to enter the temple because that is something that's so special to me and so sacred to me. Um, But I've kind of come to terms with it's either I'm going to live my life not being able to enter the temple or I'm going to be able to enter the temple as a spirit because I would be dead. So that's back to just <laughs> yeah. the reality of your situation. Yeah. Elder Razband, this quotes in the book and on the church's website, um, um, quote, this is Elder Razband, particularly vulnerable for suicide are those youth and young single adults who struggle with gender issues. They need to be encircled in the arms of their Savior, know they are loved. So often the Lord calls on us. He expects us to be welcoming, loving arms. We need to encourage their friends to do the same. So I love that quote from Elder Rasman that's on the church's website. This quote from Brene Brown that's um, kind of helps frame up perhaps how Miles felt when he was suicidal. Brene Brown, a social scientist, says, not belonging or physiological isolation is the most terrifying and destructive feeling a person can experience. It's not the same as being alone. It's a feeling that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and powerless to change the situation. In the extreme, physiological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. People will do almost anything to escape the combined, the combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. Just, how does that quote resonate with you going back to your suicide days? Yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely resonates with me. I um, I felt very isolated, and um, I, I didn't really help my situation that way. I kind of isolated myself, and mostly just because I was scared of what people would think, and I knew that I was going to attempt and so I was kind of pushing people away and trying to get them to not like me so then they wouldn't hurt when I was gone <laughs> um, so yeah I don't know um, so I just think the goal here is to keep people alive and I think as parents and as local leaders and as friends we recognize the increased risk for suicide for those that experience gender dysphoria, then I think our primary objective is to ensure their emotional health and so they can move forward in society in a way that is a productive, helpful way. And I look at where Miles is and the people in Miles' life. Miles has a friend here with him um, and a support group that has helped Miles walk this road. And to me, that's part of our baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort um, and I, I recognize it costs me nothing to call Miles he, him. There is no part of my baptism covenant that I'm compromising by re- just showing Miles the courtesy to be to call Miles by his preferred name and use his pronouns. That I don't doesn't cost me anything, but means the world to Miles. And and he doesn't. What I've tried to do is not even ask Miles to go through a certain hurdle. Miles passes for me when he walked in. He looks male. But I would extend the same courtesy to Miles, you know, even if he didn't, quote, pass. Because it just is, it, to me, that's a principle of just 
respect to another fellow human being. And so I don't, in my mind, try to figure out the amount of transitioning if somebody's had medical surgery or the degree of social transitioning. I just try to learn someone's pronouns and their name and just call them by that name. And to me, that's just part of my responsibility as a committed Latter-day Saint. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I... One of the struggles that I have is um, understanding non-binary people just because that's not my experience. Like, I've never experienced that. And just like how you've never experienced being trans, I've never understood people that are non-binary. But I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to call you your name, your pronoun, because I love them. Like, my sibling is non-binary, and um, I, I do my best to call them they, them, and and use their preferred name. Um Obviously, it was a struggle at first getting used to that, and as it is for every trans person's family and friends, is trying to get used to that name and pronoun. But the effort that you have to actually call them that um, really shows a lot to them. Um, it's definitely, I've definitely seen that with my sibling. Like, I would make videos and refer to them in neutral pronouns, and they'd be like, I really appreciated that. It made me feel really good. And just, you know, being able to see that and how they're happy with that is what makes me happy. So. I love that. Will you define to, for our listeners someone who's non-binary? So non-binary is a, an umbrella term. Um, so there's like gender fluid, which is somebody that can be, you know, either male and female or like kind of different throughout. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it's like different. <laughs> and then there's like agender, which is what my sibling is, which is they aren't either gender. So they aren't male and they aren't female. And then there, there's like gender and like there's a bunch of different things but they all fall under the umbrella of non-binary um some non-binary people don't use they them pronouns they, they use he or she but um it really just depends on the person it is a very individual thing but the general term non-binary means that they aren't like generally or they aren't specifically male or not they aren't specifically female they aren't the bi genders <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you that was great from what i understand and so they them does that refer to multiple can that refer then to one physical person yeah yeah just like my sibling i use they them even though they're one person <laughs> and so that's taken me a little time to get used to that because i think of i don't think of one person but i recognize that that's on me to to be able to learn something new, to be able to um, call someone by their preferred pronouns, in this case, they, them. And once again, that doesn't cost me anything. It's just a principle of respect. Yeah. Um, I remember back at BYU, and I cannot believe I remember this, going to family night at BYU um, 30 years ago or more single and being introduced to somebody by the name of Kimberly. And later that night, I introduced her to somebody else by Kim. And she corrected me. And it was her place to correct me. Her name is Kimberly. And it's a sign of respect. And I had shortened her name, and she was kind enough to remind me her correct name. And it's my responsibility to use her correct name, not make up a new name for her. Um, and so they, them fall in the same category. It's just a principle of respect. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just read another statement. This is in the book I've written that um, I'm not trying to sell books here on this podcast. <laughs> All the proceeds in the books are being donated to charity. Um, but um, Monica Phillips, the mother of a transgender son active in the church, um, this is her quote that's part of the book. I don't believe Satan's work has been to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, he takes these precious children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there's no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. He also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tear families apart and drive people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is succeeding, but not because this group has been deceived and are now gay or trans. He is succeeding because he is keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love. We could do better to help heal those members who are hurting. 
and feel they have no place with us as you, Miles, at times. Every member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to its fullest potential. The answer to overcoming Satan's strength in families and bring people to Christ is love. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I actually, um, one of your other podcasts, you mentioned that, and I actually made a post on this. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't talk much about it, but I will talk more about it now. Um, when I was just coming out, um, Satan was definitely hitting hitting me hard and um, made me feel like I couldn't be loved and I was a disgrace and there's no way God would accept me for who I am. Um, and obviously God doesn't want us to feel that way. This is all Satan's doing is making us feel that way. And um, it wasn't until I accepted myself as a son of God that I started feeling that peace and feeling um, accepted by God. And um, I remember feeling the great big hug. <laughs> and um, it was at that point that I finally started feeling more comfortable with like church discussions and stuff because up to that point, any time like I would read my scriptures or I would pray or I would talk to people about the church, it was kind of like Satan coming in and being like, you don't deserve happiness because you're trans. You can't do this because you're trans. And um, just those little thoughts that Satan would put into my head was really hard for me. Um, so like it says, like just being loving and helping them to understand that they are loved is a huge thing. I love that you call yourself a son of God, a worthy son of God that's worthy of love and worthy of guidance. I like that I I sense you can look in the mirror and not feel shame for who you are, but feel peace for who you are. Shame is one of Satan's greatest tools, I feel, to separate us from God. And if we look in the mirror and we believe we're unlovable, um, then it's hard to have a relationship with God. And if society sometimes creates that um, with the things we say about transgender people, and so I recognize that society has added to the burden of those that experience gender dysphoria with the narrative that we've said about people like them. And obviously you've heard that over the years, and that probably leads to feelings of suicide because it's the only way you can reconcile but I love your, just your spiritual journey and your resolve and your strength and your courage to work through this and to be able to have this relationship with God. Because I think that then helps you receive better personal revelation um, and see yourself equal to cis people and equal to everybody else on the planet and worthy of God's love and direction in your life. Um, you're a pretty mature guy for 23 years old. <laughs> Um, and I recognize that's a general feeling I feel with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints is they've had to go deep and develop a personal relationship with Heavenly Father because often that's the only way to get good answers. Yeah. And there's kind of missing information on exactly how to be LGBTQ and a Latter-day Saint. Um, Any more? I want to read a quote and then I want to talk about romantic asexual. All right. Um, this is Brene Brown's getting a lot of um, comments in this podcast. Fitting in is assessing a situation, becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And the visual I have for this quote is, if you can imagine a board with round holes, and there's a bunch of round holes going into the round holes, but here comes along a square peg trying to go into a round hole, and that represents LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And you can imagine a square peg being pounded in a round hole. That square peg is going to fracture and splinter on the corners. And that's what you've been feeling as you, you and society and the church has been hammering into this round hole. And in the past, we've kind of invited you to become a square, a round peg, um, if you were gay, we'd kind of invite you to pray that away or go to conversion therapy, become around the hole. And if you're feeding trans, we maybe invite you to quit being trans. <laughs> um, so easy. And be cis <laughs> and press a button. And, but 
The point is, it's on us to create square holes. Um, there are no holes in this visual that I've got. Um, and I think it's on us as, as Latter-day Saints to create more square holes so that people like you that have so much to give us in our church and society feel like square holes belong and you don't have to be something you're not. To me, that doesn't take commandment keeping off the table. It doesn't take the plan of salvation off the table. It just allows the beautiful diversity that heavenly parents have created to feel like they equally belong. Belong is such a better word than fitting in. Any thoughts on any of that, Miles? Yeah, I definitely feel like it's kind of a social social thing where people expect you to be a certain way, especially here in Utah. I've noticed the whole Mormon culture thing where it's like if you're different, you're bad kind of a thing, which not everybody's like that, but there are some people that tend to be like that. And um, that's something that I've noticed, especially with the LGBTQ members is they do feel like they have to fit into that mold. And um, like for me specifically, I, I tried so hard to fit into that mold and to be the person that my parents wanted me to be and who I figured God wanted me to be um, until, you know, I fractured, I broke and I realized that I couldn't fit myself into that little circle hole because that's just, it just didn't work. It was not who I was. We're glad who you are, by the way. Um, I found this quote about mental health, and then we're going to talk about, we're going to sh- transition to romantic asexual. Um, the latest international classification of diseases called ICD 11, the World Health Organization, moved transgender related issues out of the mental and behavioral disorders into, quote, conditions related to sexual health end quote, reflecting that, quote, trans-related and gender-diverse identities are not conditions of mental ill health, and classifying them as such can cause enormous stigma, end quote. And there's a footnote in the book if you want to buy the book. And I feel like I'm selling books now all of a sudden. That's really awkward for me. Um, I feel like a salesman on this podcast. We're... (laughs) We don't have sponsors. There's no revenue stream for um, amplifying LGBTQ voices. So, but it does feel weird. Let's um, anything else on trans before we move on. Talk about what a romant. Just define romantic asexual, Miles. So, a romantic asexual is somebody that who who is asexual, so they don't experience sexual attraction to anybody, um, but they do experience romantic attraction. Um, for me specifically, I'm a homo-romantic asexual, meaning that I can experience romantic attraction with other males. Um, I, me, with the um, feeling that I, I am, my spirit is male, um, obviously felt like I should get into a relationship with a girl because I was, like, scared of being gay. And um, so I ended up dating a girl for a little bit um and I tried really hard to fall in love it just didn't end up working out um and so now I just consider myself to be homoromantic because I've only ever fallen in love with men um so yeah that's basically my definition of it <laughs> what's what's your hope for f- your future as far as finding a life partner um I honestly just I, I don't think I'm probably going at this point in my life. I don't think I'm going to end up being with anybody just because, um, I don't think like my opinion is marriages between men and a man and a woman. And since I view myself as male and I feel my spirit is male, I feel like I would need to be with a woman. But if I can't get myself to love a woman, then I don't feel like it would be right to be with a man. So it's a really complicated thing, but <laughs> um, I just I just don't know if I'm going to end up being with anybody at this point. If I'm your friend or your parent or your church leader, what, what are good things I would say to you given that's what your feeling is for the future? What are some good things? Yeah, what should I say to you if you sh- as you share that? I would just say it's important to support someone who says they want to stay single. Uh, just don't tell them they'll find the right one someday or anything like that. But also let them know that they understand that people can change. 
I might say in a few years that I actually do want a partner and I would hate it if someone came up to me and said, I told you so, or if they bring back the fact that I said I would stay single, so I should stick to what I said. People change, but that doesn't change the fact that this is who, how I feel right now. And I want people to honor who I am right now and what I want at this moment in my life. If you want to be single, then that's what you choose. So, Other things you'd like to share with us about romantic asexual? Um, I do think that being asexual is something that has sort of um, been thrown under, under the rug a lot. A lot of people don't really think it's a real thing. They're like, oh, you need to find the right one or... Um, it's just important to accept people when they say that it is a real orientation to be asexual. Um, and it just means that I don't, I'm not attracted to people in that way. I just don't feel that attraction. So, um, it's just like how straight men don't feel that attraction towards men. It's the exact same thing, but for everybody, (laughs) Um, that's that's really good definition. That's very helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's helpful for me. I haven't talked to many asexual people. That's a great. I'll remember that one, Miles. Mm. Um, I like the way you put that in terms for other people to relate to. But I also recognize. I like what you said that I shouldn't dismiss that or just say, "Well, this is a phase," or "You haven't found the right person," because I think it minimizes the difficulty of your road. And versus trying to understand. So I think good follow-up questions like, tell me what it feels like to be asexual and tell me about your experience. Open-ended questions that kind of keep it focused on you. Yeah. In my experience, of the best things that I can do as your friend or your parent or your church leader if you come out as asexual. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely important to ask those questions because it is different for everybody. Like this is my experience with being asexual, but it doesn't mean that everybody is like that. Some people say that they're asexual because they're sex repulsed or something like that, but not necessarily because they don't experience sexual attraction. Um, but like for me, the definition of asexual is you don't experience sexual attraction. So that's how I relate to it. <laughs> and one of the things that I used to do that I, I don't do anymore is I don't try to figure out a backstory when I find something that's not in the norm. So I think, you know, 20 years ago, when we were talking about gay people, I think there was a lot of narrative. It was a dominant mother. They were a victim of sexual abuse. Or we kind of had all these society narratives that ex- tried to explain why someone is gay. And now most of the science is helping us understand that this is, you know, this is just how people are born. Yeah. And there's no backstory. And so we need to create square holes, so to speak, because they are created square yeah exactly and like um, that... i just call the gay person square <laughs> <laughs> hope they already got that <laughs> um, but yeah that, that is definitely something that a lot of people think with asexuals are like oh you've you don't... been a victim of yeah you've been a victim of sexual abuse yeah so and just... I've, I've never been a victim of sexual abuse so. <laughs> there's a parenting flaw here yeah and so i would just caution all of us to not try to figure out a backstory when somebody comes out as LGBTQ, but um, it dismisses them and they have to prove to us this is how they feel. And that just adds to their burden. I don't think it's like pain. If you are experiencing pain, I should just validate your pain or your trauma, not make you prove it to me. Um, Even if your trauma doesn't seem to match the experience, I should just honor your trauma or your pain um, and the same with how you're feeling on the LGBTQ spectrum. That's my experience, and that costs me nothing. But instead of adding to your burden by somehow having to prove it, I just honor how you feel. And I don't sort of in my mind think, well, this is just a phase, or tomorrow you'll take on a different label. Um, I just honor you know, how you feel. Will you help us on some other terms? You're my new expert. <laughs> Pansexual. Will you, you, um, I've lost my, will you define that for our listeners? Yeah. So this is also a term that kind of means something different for different people. Um, the general definition that people give is a pansexual is somebody that is attracted to all genders, which means they could be attracted to men, women, non-binary, like any kind of gender. Um, but there are also people that say that it's basically 
they don't care about gender, so they basically just say, if you are a good person, then I like you. So they, it's not that they're attracted to everybody, it's that they don't care. And so it's more like, oh, you're a cool person. I don't care what's in your pants. I don't care what your gender is. I just like you. Um, and then there are lots, also a lot of people that kind of say that bisexual and pansexual are kind of like very similar because bisexual is you like two or more genders. So you could be bisexual, a bisexual that likes all genders, but don't think of yourself as pansexual. So that it, there is kind of a gray area there where people define that in different ways. That's very helpful. And I think education helps all of us to then do a better job of helping somebody. Um, I wanted to find one more quote. Are there other things that you'd like to share with our listeners um, on any topic that we've shared? Um, can't think of anything right now. <laughs> all right. Um, I found my quote. It's in this chapter. And Elder Uchtdorf, this isn't necessarily related to LGBTQ, but I just love the quote. Elder Uchtdorf reminds us to be open to learning. Quote, brothers and sisters, as good as our previous experience may be, if we stop asking questions, stop thinking, stop pondering, we can thwart the revelations of the Spirit. Remember, it was young Joseph. Young Joseph asked that the door that opened the door of the restoration of all things. We can block the growth and knowledge your Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gates of what we thought we already knew? So I'm kind of a visual guy, Miles. I love, I can see Elder Uchtdorf's massive iron gates. They're German for some reason, because he's <laughs> taken me back to German. They're kind of pre World War II, and I can see these massive iron gates that sort of represent this, I call it the trap of unearned opinions that people get into where I just have an opinion. It's easy for me to have an opinion about everything. It takes, uh, it's harder for for me, especially at my age and sort of having a couple college degrees and a career to sort of say, I'm not going to have an opinion about things I don't know anything about. And I'm actually going to not you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow Uchtdorf's advice, and if it's something new to me, I'm gonna say I'm gonna not have an opinion. I'm gonna, and the best thing for me is to talk to people in those groups. So if I want to know how black teenagers feel, I've got a bunch of white teenagers in the neighborhood and in my own family. My son's 19. I could talk to him, but it's probably better to talk to a black 19 year old and a bunch of them to talk about to know how black, you know men and women feel in America right now with Black Lives Matter. And I've learned that's true with undocumented workers, with just different groups of marginalized people, um, how women feel in our church sometimes, how just different groups. And certainly that's been true for me as I've learned about LGBTQ people. I have talked in the podcast before about I just felt a spiritual impression to wipe my hard drive clean using a computer term of everything I've ever picked up about LGBTQ people, because I didn't know the transphobia and the homophobia that I had internalized. And Heavenly Father just said, you got to start from scratch. It's the only way you're going to get to where I need you to get. And I'm not there. I have a lot of work to do. But he said to me, in my just my personal feelings, he says, if you want to know trans people, my trans children, go talk to trans people. And listen, and it's, that's just what I've been trying to do. And now amplify your voices so that other people can learn, listen, learn, and love, which is the name of the podcast. That name of the podcast we don't talk about too much, but a Facebook group a couple years helped me come up with that name. And I recognize the power of listen, which is something does not come easy for us. Learn is easier done after we listen, and then we're better able to love. Yeah. And we're better able to create square holes and we're better able to mourn, bear, and comfort. Any closing thoughts, Miles, you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, that is that is something that I've um, grown to learn like over the years is um, something that I've kind of tried to live by is 
Christ loves everybody because he knows everybody perfectly and individually. And so I feel like if we were to sit down and get to know somebody and their story, and if we were able to, which we aren't, but if we were able to know them perfectly, um, we wouldn't, we couldn't help but love them. Like there would be no way we would hate them because we know them perfectly. Um, and so that's kind of how I've tried to live my life is like, give people the benefit of the doubt and realize that God loves them. So obviously there's a reason that I should love them too. Miles Selman, you have a great life ahead of you. You are a great man. Um, on behalf of all our listeners, thank you for surviving that suicide attempt. And thank you for talking about it. It helps other listeners that are suicidal. You give them hope. And you're in a spot now where you're glad to be alive. And now you're sharing your story. And I hope our listeners could just see Miles sitting here. We had to do a video podcast because you have a light about you, a goodness about you, a maturity about you, a spiritual feeling about you. You have thank a you. great life ahead of you. and. You've blessed people throughout your whole life um, in Portugal and other ways. And and where you've come to terms with who you are and a feeling that this is how God created you and you're not a mistake, I think, allows your life mission to be possible. And I think your 33-year-old self, your 43-year-old self, 53-year-old self, if you could see those older selves of you, I think they would be really happy with who you are right now and where you are and the decisions you've made. And the foundation you have, because I think you have a foundation for a great life. So on behalf of all our listeners, this is Richard Osler thanking Miles Selman and all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>